Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Becky Johnson, an actor and improviser who's appeared on stage in Sheila Hetty's All Our Happy Days Are Stupid and Danny McIver's A Beautiful View, among many other things. You can see her online in the web series Space Riders Division Earth. And you can find her through the end of this year at Toronto's Second City, where she's performing in the main stage review, Come What Mayhem. And you should do that. I've seen it. It's a really good show. Becky chose Badlands, Terrence Malick's remarkable debut feature that reinterprets the Charles Starkweather spree killings through a stylized fictional lens, with Martin Sheen's enigmatic rebel Kit seducing Sissy Spacek's dreamy Holly into a life on the run, if that's really what happens. Malick's not interested in recounting the facts of the story as they happened, but in exploring the whys of it watching his characters forge a connection against the emptiness of the South Dakota landscapes. It's also the film that lays out the themes that will dominate Malick's work in the decades to come. The search for comfort in the inexplicable movement of life, the need to divine something greater amidst the chaos, and also wheat. This is someone else's movie. Well, I had a really hard time deciding on a movie. Not a really hard time, but a bit of a hard time. It happens. Um, I think... I think it was like the the thought about like a movie that really stuck to my bones and that has stuck with me since the first time I saw it in a way that was unusual and singular. Mm-hmm. You know, not just you did this thing well that a lot of people do well, but like you've done something well that I've never seen before or since, exactly as it is. And I guess that's the work of the auteur, right? Yeah. Uh, Terrence Malick. But I think that was it. And... The other thing for me personally is that I think when I when I think about stories or films that I personally really gravitate towards, um, they're basically all about America. Okay. And I mean North America, and the, there's like a time period or a, f- a feeling of like the openness of the West that ha- is like almost everything I've ever liked in film and literature and television. I've realized like okay. if the list is like. The list is like Badlands, Days of Heaven, Twin Peaks, uh, Linda Berry's book, Cruddy, Flannery O'Connor. It's like, these are all, I mean, that's the South, but still there's this like unsettled openness. Right. Anyway, so that was the thing I realized where I was like, that's probably going to be part of what uh, the movie I choose. It's really interesting. I mean, the, the idea of mythical potential, I think, kind of runs through all of that. Yeah. Even... And it's also like, you know, romanticizing the West or open spaces is also not healthy or good but it's yeah. something i do <laughs> sure yeah well god it's part of the canadian myth yeah absolutely well and i'm and i'm from the west coast too i don't know if that has something to do with it mm. just feeling like i'm from the edge of the world right at a certain it's a, time it's a frontier thing yeah yeah i think so and there's a lot of frontierness in this right yeah um it's fun people whenever people bring up badlands it's always in a context that i never see coming it's and it's always comics it's always people who work in comedy it's uh, got very funny moments in it. Too, it is, but, but they're nobody, super weird. Yeah, nobody remembers it that way. Everybody remembers the sort of the weird sense of peace that settles over the film and that uh, that tension that's like underneath everything. The thing that Malick does so well. Yeah. But like Richard Ayade said that it was a huge influence on his film Submarine. Oh really? Yeah. I, I love that movie too. But, yeah, but <laughs> that's does it, fascinating. Does that connect to you? Because it didn't to me. I sort in of a understand weird way. it, but well. 
uh, well, what's, one of the things I would say that's interesting is like, so I, I rewatched it last night, oh and I read some. I read some things. I don't know if I was supposed to or not. Like I read some. <laughs> I can do whatever. I read some reviews, and um, like consistently, they called Sissy Spacek's character dumb or simple. Roger Ebert called her simple, and yeah. I was like, I was like, whoa! I don't feel that way about her at all. Which isn't to say that I know that I'm right. It's just that if I saw it a completely different way, that means that you're not right either. This is much more up to interpretation than you've allowed it to be when you just call her that. Because I was like, for me watching this as a woman and thinking about what it was like to be a young woman, which it seems to have a lot, that seems to have a lot to do with it. The sort of like trying on personalities that saying less and doing less also reveals less of yourself which is an important thing to do when you're figuring yourself out yeah does that make sense it does it absolutely does so anyway but as far as like interpretations of this when i read those things where like they call her like stupid or simple or whatever i was like that's not how i see it at all which means yeah there's there's something very interesting going on here because their interpretations can be absolutely right for them and mine can be right as well which is one of the things that's amazing about this sure yeah I think I do think you're right in this case. <laughs> yes. She's, well, she's not. Yeah, I mean, she's an, she's an innocent maybe, but she's not dumb. I think she's definitely presented as more watchful than anybody else in the film. She's she's the one telling the story. She also may or may not be innocent. Like that's how I feel about the, the about the whole movie is it really it makes you question what what you can possibly know about another person mm-hmm. and. Like, what what she says in dialogue, what she says in narration. I don't know. How can you possibly know what amount of that's true or real? And it's so, like, romantic and kind of pulp novel-y, especially the narration. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's it clearly is, in some ways, a regurgitation of stuff she's read. And he finds this book, right, in her suitcase. So, presumably, to me, she was writing it all down in that book. Right. Right? And that's why he kept it. So if she's writing it down, she's she's made the choice to mythologize, right. and this is how she wants to do it. Not we can't assume that this is exactly what she feels the most. Yeah. It's what she wants to say, which is different than what you feel. I have wondered once or twice watching the film whether it's the statement she's giving to the police, like down the line, mm. or a prepared version of it. If this is her mm-hmm. frame for it, right? Even if she'll never deliver it, maybe this is what we're hearing in her head. Yeah, but. Oh, there, like uh, yeah. the the unreliable narrator aspect is <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. part of the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's packaged that way, mm-hmm. um, and it is like it feels. I always forget how soon it is after, or how how that was not the right grammatical expression. Mm-hmm. I always forget how quickly it followed Bonnie and Clyde. Like it's it really does feel thematically, theatrically, like an answer movie. It when was maybe did Bonnie, five years, and after that's the like Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty, yeah, in '67. That was in '67, and this was '73. Yeah. But yeah. Bonnie and Clyde kind of cycled for a little while. It didn't really hit until 68 because it was re-released after a positive reviews and almost withdrawn. It was a whole thing. And if the way Malick works is so slow and contemplative, then I could kind of see it filtering through his head and thinking, and him just responding to that movie with, well, it's not cool exactly. And yeah. it's not adorable to kill people. It's not cool, but it's not not cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... It's not cool, but I can see, or like, you can see why they find it that way. Like, yeah. they're the ones in this in this film, the perpetrators are the ones who are experiencing the joy, not the 
not the people following them. Right. Unlike natural born killers, where it's just, it's so overt, like yeah, that's ex- that's encouraging the audience to join in. Yeah, and that's and that's the point. But this is like it's like kind of in a lot of ways, people. Are, it's mentioned that people are paying attention to them, but you really don't see it. Yeah, you yeah, don't see no it very circus, much at all. There's no free- yeah, there's a circus only at the end, and not really even. Yeah. Um, it's much more concerned with the bond between between the two leads rather than it is between the bond with the leads and the audience or the leads and the world around them. Yeah. And I think that's why it's I think that's why it lingers because you there there are so many movies and the other thing it's an answer to in a weird way is the, the thrill kill movies from the fifties and sixties, those pulp mm. programmers of, you know, teenage delinquents on the on the run, on the rampage. This is really everything has consequences, everything has weight. And you're sort of made to feel what's happening, even if the characters aren't quite aware of it. And maybe that's why they write her off as dumb, because she just doesn't fully... Because she doesn't react. Yeah, but that doesn't doesn't engage with what's happening. Just because people don't see it doesn't mean you aren't feeling something. And that's one of the things that I find so amazing about this film. Oh, you want to know another fun fact? Sure. When it was released, I think... Uh, it was released as a double bill with Blazing Saddles. I have heard this. I I think it probably ended up that way. Like an original like release. Second run, maybe? No, not? I think it was the original one, and then it had to kind of be... Dragons? I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not a fact checker anymore. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, which I find unbelievably bizarre. Yeah. As they, an idea of what... Like, why? It's like they're both on the planes. <laughs> they were released by the same studio. They both start with B. Um, I mean, it's true that there were so, dri- like drive-in pairings, things like that happened all the time because mm-hmm. the distributor would send films along mm-hmm. uh, into second run. But I can't imagine either of those movies being initially double, like released as a double bill. You well, just, I think that's what I read, but I could be wrong, or mm-hmm. I could have read something wrong. Um, You're probably right. Th- then it had to be like re-released on its own because it premiered at like um, you know New York New York Film Festival. So it had all these things, but then when it was picked up in the sort of packaging, it was put out this way, I think, mm. which seems utterly bizarre. Yeah, I, I, I'm, rege- I'm act- my brain is actively rejecting the possibility, but it doesn't mean I'm right. There are two movies I like that I would never want to see as a double bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just, I mean, those are such different audiences, too. I, I mean, which one would play first? How do you get the room back, like, after you... Yeah, after either, I know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I guess that was my answer to the first question. When was your first exposure? When did you first see it? I don't know. I'm pretty bad with, like, details like this in general, but... Um, Younger, older? Well, I would have been in my 20s, Okay. I guess. I wasn't a kid. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, I guess in my 20s. And I haven't seen it that many times. It's not like I watch it constantly. But I did, also didn't feel like I had to. Yeah. There's so much that stuck with me. Um, what For myself, with, with movie viewing, I'm extremely bad at hanging on to details. I'll forget dialogue. I can't even remember the dialogue I wanted to remember from last night. The thing, like the things that really stood out that I wanted to bring up are visual details, but the sort of general feeling is something that usually sticks with me, which makes rewatching movies really fun because I forget so much. There's, yeah. they're like kind of, you know, I'll be like, oh yeah, this thing's about to happen, but I won't know right until before. Maybe it's like that for a lot of people. Right. But this movie, every time I know, every time I watch it, there's different little visual things I pick up on, and it's like, it's like in a in a Kubrick sense of like. Did he plan all of this? Did his subconscious do it? Yeah. Because there's so many things. Every single action and image seems like a metaphor for something. Yeah. 
you know? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel wasted. No, Malik definitely, like, he has the quality, he has the ability to load everything and nothing into a scene. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, you can watch Tree of Life and come away as the, as the audience I saw it with was just frustrated and bored and restless. I thought it was the best film I'd seen that year, and I ended and I was in a state of rapture. Uh, just like I really want to call my dad and I really want to just sit here for about an hour and and then I had to get pushed down the stairs and interview Jessica Chastain on stage in front of the remaining portion of the audience because the guy who was supposed to do it didn't show up and that's a whole story but um, there were people who like actively hated the things that I loved Mm -hmm. in that film and that's a movie that's kind of non-narrative and doesn't really have a structure the way Badlands does Badlands is probably... I mean, I'm trying to think of another film he's made that's more conventional. It's it's easily the most conventional movie. Maybe Days of Heaven. Maybe The Thin Red Line, because it's a war film. I think... Well, the other thing, though, is that sort of both Days of Heaven and Badlands have... Uh, Badlands more so have an element of road movie, which is a great structure for someone who doesn't like narrative because you don't have to hang on to anything right. except for the you know you don't have to hang on to anything but the two of them, mm-hmm. and we accept it completely because that's how road movies are. That's how travel is. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and Days of Heaven has travel too, right? So the core people are the core people, and you you just toss away every storyline because they're for they're back like for the back on the road. Yeah, you're whatever adventure they're having, you're with them. That's that's yeah. The- and it makes sense that they've walked away from every other interaction they've had because that's how travel is. Yeah. So in a way, it is narrative, but it's found a very good narrative for somebody or narrative structure for somebody who doesn't really seem to like narrative very much. Mm-hmm. And I don't like narrative very much, to be quite <laughs> honest. So maybe that's part of it. It has its uses. I mean, I think it does. certainly this film, just because it's a criminal on the run like you yeah. can you can describe it that way you can describe it as a, as a romance you can describe it as a road mm-hmm. movie but all of those things there's an end in sight it's a, as opposed to some of the other films where it just sort of dissolves into rapture or or fades away or something like night of cups where okay it ends but yeah, i don't even know it really started it was just i haven't f- seen that either i actually haven't seen very many of his movies it's a very experiential film yes yeah, sadly don't mean that in a positive oh, way no. for night of cups a lot of uh, tree of life is phenomenal um, is Knight of Cups one with Christian Bale? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to see him in a Terrence Malick movie. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I just really didn't. And that's not fair of me, but I didn't. No, you're, you're probably right to want the things you want <laughs> uh, for him, for that. Uh, I mean, even... I, I'm, I'm in that weird position where, having just watched this thing he's been working on for 40 years, Voyage of Time, mm-hmm. um, I think he found a way to say everything he wanted to say in Tree of Life. I think all the other movies, Badlands included, are working towards that, or mm. getting him to that point where he can make this story uh, about himself, which it absolutely is. Tree of Life is like his childhood, his impressions. It's these are it's things hilarious because everything else has been so private. Exactly, he's, he's, and maybe he's hoarding it so that he can do it the way he wants. Yeah, to. <laughs> and now that he's done it, I think he's just sort of he wants to keep working and he likes it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know that he has anything left to say. Um, cool. Yeah, I kind of hope he finds another way to not say something. Um, but the the sort of ineffable quality that's in, in Badlands, and God, I said ineffable, I'm terrible, I'm, the, I'm a film critic, I'm sorry. That's okay. I just hate those terms being thrown at, well, you know, the thing you can't describe, it's just the thing you can't describe. <laughs> I can describe what Malick does, which is this gorgeous, rapturous, emotional state that's probably more valid than the narrative he's telling. Like, mm-hmm. he puts you into his... Malik's 
strength as a filmmaker, his I think his greatest gift is is the ability to make you identify with someone who you don't necessarily want to be, but mm-hmm. to do it through the texture of the film rather than through any kind of hey these pers- these people they're just like us. You're just in yeah. that situation. You're plugged in. And I think yeah, watching this movie right now, given I think a lot of the stuff that I have been seeing recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also working as an actor, so I go out for, I get scripts and have all these weird things I go out for all the time. Yeah. Just like a movie that doesn't tell you what to think or feel is such a relief. Yeah. <laughs> um, something that doesn't make a point of telling you what the point is. It's just like, I don't know, I've, there's something there's something I find so respectful to the audience in that. And... And also, this experience of some people hate it and some people love it, that's also extremely important uh, to me as an actor, because for the work I do, sometimes I'm like, you know, people really don't seem to like this, but I know this is exactly the thing that I want to be doing right now. And then, like, watching a movie like this and going, to me, this is, I'm so glad this exists, for me, selfishly. And I don't care if a lot of people don't, agree with me I'm so glad Terrence Malick made this so that I could see it and so to be on the on the receiving end of something for me gives me more confidence to confidence to do stuff when people are telling me it's wrong yeah if I know that it's not to me and it's like only if only 10% of the people like it the people those 10 that 10% will be how did this get made I've never seen anything like this this is what I needed Mm -hmm. you know and again that's maybe hoping for quite a bit for myself but that's what we have to do people who create stuff right yeah but that's how like the fact that this movie wasn't particularly well received is baffling to me and also heartening in another way yeah like if something like this or when you saw tree of life which i haven't seen oh, it's great. but to have that experience of oh you know what movie i saw that i had that experience with yeah. was the only movie i've ever seen at tiff was the brown bunny the vincent gallo movie right yeah and I was so upset in the screening because it had already gotten, like, kind of panned. Yeah, it and came out of can, and I think it was had a different cut, too. Maybe. But anyway, there was just this, like, smugness in the audience, but a smugness that comes from people who've already been told by somebody else what to think. And it was making me so angry because I actually really liked the film a lot. And you know what? Similarity is not narrative, weird, just emotional relationship yeah. stuff. But I was like, I am taken aback by a lot of what's going on here and a road movie of sorts yeah i really really liked it and and was and was just like people were laughing in a sort of self-conscious way being like we know we're on the insider club because somebody else already told us if you don't like it leave and let me just watch this movie you pretentious pieces of shit (laughs) that's how i felt i've had those moments i think i was i was at the second press screening for that maybe Mm -hmm. and all I knew was that I liked Vincent Gallo's stuff. And I know he can be self-indulgent, but... And I'm not crazy about Buffalo 66. So I think he gets at something, but... I, I like it. I didn't love it. I, like, I yeah. liked it, but didn't love it. And then I saw this, and it's like, oh, it's sad. I get it. Like, it's just really, really sad. It's a mournful movie about a lost man. And he's and he's self-indulgent, but also, like, shows you his self-indulgence, yeah, quite honestly. Exactly. Which is very unusual. Like, it's like, yeah, you're a bit of an odious creep, <laughs> but you've put all that out there. Who does that? Yeah, it's part and parcel of the, of the narrative, yeah. even, or the aesthetic, because it's not really a narrative, but... Anyway, I was no, I, I was I experienced the same thing from members of the press who were there presumably because 
it was this big deal that Roger Ebert had shat all over at uh, at Cannes the uh, like six months earlier or four months earlier, and everybody like were cramming into the theater to see it, and it's like I kind of get this. I I never go into a movie expecting to hate it, although you know Transformers Five, <laughs> I'm not holding that much hope. Yeah, sure. But why would you why would you do this if you're not going to enjoy if you don't hope you're going to enjoy yourself and mm-hmm. maybe. The Brown Bunny isn't the movie that you enjoy exactly, but it's still something that I could appreciate. And, and I mean, I wrote a piece about it when it came out on video because that was the only chance I got to write about it. And people were like, that movie, really? It's like, yeah, I saw it, so I can say exactly. that, that movie. Exactly, that movie, it was our fun thing to say that we didn't like it and we don't know anything about it. How yeah. many people saw that movie uh, in the as, theater? Not as many as claim they did, I'm pretty sure. I know, anyway. Um, I mean, I'm just being an anti-snob snob now, but I just didn't want my experience ruined yeah. by people... Who I was like, are you are you enjoying this movie? Are you enjoying hating it? Are you enjoying being in in a room with other people showing them that you hate it, yeah. which has nothing to do with the movie being on in front of you? No, it's performative. It's yeah. it's um, it's the it's hate, I mean it is hate watching, even though now <laughs> yeah. that's a legitimate thing apparently. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. People talk about shows that they can't. It's become a term that people throw at stuff like, oh, I can't stand this, but I still watch it every week. And it's like, yeah. It's, we used to call it a guilty pleasure, but now you can't do that because it acknowledges you're enjoying yourself, so now it's hate-watching. That's the new phrase. That's horrifying. It kind of is. <laughs> um, Why would you spend your time actively looking for things to hate? Yeah. There's so much to hate just naturally. Yeah, it just it, <laughs> it finds just, you. It just shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I shamed Kate off of Criminal Minds once, or well, not once, but she watched it because she's a knitter and she doesn't have to look at the screen. And I would be in the room... While she was watching this, and I'm, she's watching it on, on television, and I'm working on something on the computer or like across the room. Yeah. And Patton Oswalt has a whole bit about this, but it's actually true. You can't have it on in the background because eventually you start, you hear how horrible things are, and then you look up and you see this level of gore, and it's always against, it's always misogynistic violence against women is always much worse in these shows. And, and yeah. the idea of these of this program that's just there to say, like, oh, this most horrific thing, and then we're going to show you what's left of her face. And I would just say, why are you watching this? This is so awful. <laughs> I have the same conversation with my husband because I do the same thing. I watch all those procedurals. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, what are you doing? How can you watch murder all day long? Mm. I don't know the answer. It's soothing. I mean, the structure makes people happy. Yeah, procedurals in general, I find soothing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, that's that's common. I mean, that's and I don't know. Also, women seem to be quite into them, and I don't understand that either. Maybe we're stealing ourselves to some like fear that. Is it the catharsis? Is it the idea of watching someone else? I have no idea. I mm-hmm. really don't. But it does tend to be women, in my experience, who are really into these shows. I don't know. Yeah, it definitely is, which I find fascinating. But I think like scaring yourself so you'll be more on edge. I don't know. Yeah. That doesn't. I don't, I don't feel of, more on edge. It's not a form of prepping. That's what I think. Maybe yeah. I'm. Not, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a stupid actor. <laughs> oh, you're not stupid. <laughs> I'm a. I'm a genius. You're actor. intuitive. That's different. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotional intelligence, which we, which comes back to Badlands because that's the kind of movie where we are being confronted with awful things, mm-hmm. and if not sympathizing, then at least understanding the people who are perpetrating them. Sort and, of. And I how it can why. happen. You know that scene where they lo- he locks the ki- the kids up in like a, a uh, whatever, not storm cellar, like a tornado shelter yeah, thing, yeah. Uh, and then just shoots through the top of it, and then goes, "Do you think they're dead?" I do remember these lines. Do you think they're dead? And she's like, "Oh no." He's like, "I'm not looking to find out," and they run away. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's horrible, but 
it's funny. I mean, it is like that's that moment that is that weird sort of gallows humor. Yeah, the moment where he's like... the person holding the gallows rope instead of being on them. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to see. Ew, it it could be gross. Yeah. Like, what's he saying? The thing that you did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but there's so much... so much about Kit that's idealized and and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And Martin Sheen in 1973 is... Like, he was just an amazing specimen. Mm -hmm. I mean, even as far... You go as far as Apocalypse Now, and he's... There's something about his eyes, his jaw. He's really fascinating. And he's he's a, a handsome man, but visually there's light hits him you know mm-hmm. movie people aren't like us they're yeah they're different they their bodies retain sunlight somehow <laughs> and they look better on camera but he was just this beguiling figure and if he's not like there's this whole thing that's going on with the way she idealizes him not idolizes but idealizes him so maybe yeah his his heart is too pure to see the damage he's wrought or something but it's all there like you could read that into it if you wanted to yeah um i i got to meet him uh, a couple years ago when he came through with the walk i think it was called the walk or the way it was the way uh-huh. the one he, that emilio had directed his, his son he was acting for his son and it was a round table kind of situation and because it was so close to tree of life and and malik was suddenly active and making movies again i just mm-hmm. had to it was like I know you're not going to say anything, but can you say anything? It might have been it might have been 2013. It might have been the 40th anniversary of the film of Badlands. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just said it was really. I didn't know how much I'd learned making that movie until years and years later. Terry and I still stay in touch. We talk about basketball, hmm. and that's all I want, right? Yeah. That, that's how I want to imagine that process that led to Kit specifically. I don't. I want him to stay unknowable. Yeah. I don't want to know what it is I find so fascinating about him because I'm worried that the answer might be something really awful. You know, something <laughs> well, either really simple or something too profound. The, uh, the, as an actor watching it, too, I, I felt like... It felt like there was such a, like, bubble of safety around the actors mm-hmm. and free, freedom in a way that it's just... It's the kind of space that creates good performances. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I don't need, I really don't need to know how Terrence Malick works. I'm just glad that it happens because, you know, for me watching it, I just think you, you need to, whether someone else does or you do, you need to give yourself permission to have some freedom, which clearly both of them took, mm-hmm. you know, as actors. They're working with their director very much, but it's a director who really knows how to work with performers. Yeah. Because there's like a freedom, and you can see it. Sometimes they're very loose. Like, yeah, as characters, they're very loose with each other, and sometimes they're very uncomfortable with each other. They're they're really uncomfortable in this scene where they're kissing, and I love that. Oh, yeah. It's very weird and wooden, and it's amazing, because it's like, oh, there's so much, again, communicated here in the, the fact that, like, they're kind of in this mythic love, but anything real is quite difficult for mm. them. And sex seems to be, like, not that enjoyable. They're both, like, what... It's not a big deal. Yeah. Well, as with as with the kissing, I mean, it's something that they are they know they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's performance, exactly, in a weird way. And again, you know, the kids today don't understand. Small town teenagers in the nineteen fifties had nothing but movie magazines and encyclopedias. Like, there's yeah. no there's no modeling that you can do with television or the internet or anything. They're, yeah. They're, you're you those people were on their own more yeah. than even more than you know, like big city folk. Uh, and well, and so, they are reading out of like a gossip magazine yeah, at one point, right? That's like, the only connection they have to a larger world. Yeah. And so maybe the crime spree is partially motivated by an attempt to be part of that larger world. You know, the mm-hmm. romanticism of, of, of criminal life 
but there's just they it's not that they don't know what they're doing it's that they do know what they're doing they're just not enjoying it in a lot of ways in, yeah. in strange sort of antisocial or socially socially awkward i don't even know how i don't think there's a term for it but they're well they could be psychotic yeah it's possible it's but i don't i don't even want to accept that i yeah it's too easy it's too reductive i just wanted it to be that they uh like i think there are lines that sort of indicate this of like i could just stay here but why bother mm. you know I yeah. didn't have to, she didn't have to go with him, but she said something about like, you know, I could not go, but two weeks with someone I love, which is also like a grand statement, weird yeah. thing. But, but there's also just this like, look at the town, what your life's going to be like. She says Cheyenne is like the biggest, most wonderful city she's ever seen. Right. And she sees the lights of it from far away. It's like the isolation of these people. Does it matter if they kill other people or get shot? Are their lives worth anything? Have yeah. they been told their lives are worth anything? Exactly. Or no. anyone's lives are worth anything in this situation? Yeah. If no one's going to amount to anything, what difference does it make if they stay or, or in the world or not? <laughs> yeah. And what difference does it make if you take them out? Yeah. It's it's this yeah it's this. I was going to say rat's nest, but it's not even that because a rat's nest it, metaphor implies activity, like, <laughs> agitation. Yeah. yeah. And this is really just so strangely calm and and contented I think is the word I would use she's comfortable with her choices even if she doesn't know how to express them she's there's a confidence and she knows what she's doing when she's emulating when she's replicating she's doing it awkwardly mm-hmm. but yeah I don't know if she's I don't know if this is, is to argue that she's seduced by Kit or that she's enthusiastically complicit like mm-hmm. how hard does he have to try to get her to go with him yeah, not very hard at all. Yeah. Or we don't see it happen. Yeah, yeah. We just don't... And we don't see a lot of the things happen. Yeah. It's missing all the pieces that... <laughs> Tell you what's going on. I was going to say that a Criminal Minds episode would fill in, right? Because right. they'd be these overheated, shaky cams, saturated shots of, hey, baby, I have a car, that kind of thing. Yeah, and also stuff where, like, the the people on the trail are, like, deconstructing right. everything yeah. and explaining and, and explaining again everything that's happened and might happen. Yeah, exposition about the mental state, mm-hmm. you know, the paint mm-hmm. is fresh, this means this, that kind of thing. Which is, again, of course procedurals are successful because they give you the satisfaction of playing detective and also yeah. being part of that. And it's apparently quite easy to write because there are only five plots and they keep using them. <laughs> but with Badlands, we're, we're removed from so much of the expected material where mm-hmm. there's so little discussion of motivation there's so like if there's a if there's a grudge it's no more complex than than the wild one right like what are you rebelling against what have you got yeah kit just doesn't want to be there it's not his world and he's going to ruin as much of it as he can before he goes out he's bored and he wants yeah. to be someone yeah they both just want to well he more so just wants to be a celebrity or be even just have meaning you know, mm-hmm. and like at the end, just saying, I think I always wanted to be a criminal. I guess just because it's something. Yeah. Because what are you going to be otherwise? It's yeah. and like in those moments, I was like, it's just like the American dream. I want to distinguish myself. Yeah. Well, what are my options? I don't really have an education. I was a garbage man. I guess I'll go shoot people. Right. <laughs> you know, it's really it's and so it's, wild. It's the kind of thing that, you know, it's not. Based on subsequent evidence, it's not wrong. That does work. Mm-hmm. Like you can become famous by doing nothing but harm. Mm-hmm. 
And now, like 50 years later, there's this movement to not use the shooters' names in, in stories, which I think in news coverage, which I think is pretty great, although ultimately flawed. Because mm-hmm. you can't... I mean, you, it'll take one disreputable asshole to run it as a, as a free speech issue, and then it just ruins it every time. We're in... I don't know. We're, I think we're in a really weird zone... I was about to have a very strange thought about, like, um, in order to make the the sort of the capitalist society that we live in work, I think we need, like, religion to tell us to just toil away and be humble. That was sort of the point. Yeah. (laughs) But it works. And now we don't have this. So, like okay, great, Marx, it's gone, but now people still want to be individuals and have been given, are so disenfranchised. But this sort of stuff is is actually happening all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, people go shoot up schools. Yeah. Some people think that, you know, aliens are in their heads and want to do it for that reason, but some people just don't even understand. They're just numb. Yeah. They just want to do something. It's so terrifying. Yeah. And that's, there are moments in this movie that I find really chilling in that respect. Just like the the tension of you have established that anything can happen in the in this film because because there is no motivation. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's no motivation, it's quite scary and that's that's what's scary about you know like random violent crime on the street when someone comes up to you and they don't ask you for money and they're being weird with you. Mm-hmm. Well, what's going on? Yeah. And that's I think there are ways in which this movie does that, that kind of fear of like He's just walking around. He has a gun. He could shoot it at any time or not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's completely up to chance. There's no, there's no moral justification. There's nothing you could do <laughs> to change what he's going to do. Yeah. Or if there is, you can't know what it is. Exactly. There's yeah. no logic to it. But the, yeah, the sense of, of a chaotic force. And I think that's what's so distinctive about Badlands as opposed to Malik's other work. His stuff gets progressively calmer and more contemplative mm-hmm. Badlands has a genuine terror inside of it and you can't see it ever you mm-hmm. can never tell when it's going to come out no one knows what triggers it we spend the entire movie in this strange place watching with the accomplice as the bad thing that takes center stage mm-hmm. kid is always in control even when he doesn't know what to do because he's the only one who's capable of doing anything yeah, and he's always making a plan on the fly that seems to make no sense. Yeah. Like making a pile of rocks for a while. Yeah, <laughs> and, and maybe that just keeps him from killing someone. Like maybe that just keeps him busy or distracted. Maybe that's what he needs. Yeah, I, and and weirdly, yeah. like I don't even for most of the movie, he he actually does kind of seem to make sense to me in a way. Yeah, as opposed to like he doesn't seem psychotic. I guess he must be, but I don't know. Yeah. But if we're seeing it through his eyes, then he's. Or at the very least, a romantic figure, and yeah. you know, at best, heroic. But but also like, he, I don't know. He just sort of makes sense, and they're like, yeah, what have you been given? Shit. Mm. There yeah. seems to doesn't seem like we know nothing really of his past. We know nothing of his past, but but he doesn't. It doesn't feel like he's been given any sort of hope or any plans from from anyone else or any framework from anyone else. Mm-hmm. So he's just making his own on the fly and it's super weird. Yeah. But in a way that's what everybody does, right? Yeah. They just don't choose to shoot people. We're all yeah, exactly. We're all pretending to be adults. We're just some of us are doing a better job at, re- at reining in the impulses that are 
terrifying and awful and inside, presumably inside everybody. I mean, I've, I've met people who I would say are genuinely, truly good people, but I right. bet they still lose their temper. <laughs> it's just that here you have someone who's already given into it. And you know, like he's, he's strangely calm most of the time because he knows what he's capable of or, or he's already done it. Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying because it means he could do it again or he wants to and he's barely stopping himself. There's so much going on in, in Sheen, but he keeps it all. It's that, it's that line from the birdcage, right? You're doing this and this and this, but you keep it all inside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the weirdest. I don't think anyone will ever compare the birdcage to Badlands again. <laughs> we'll start with a B. Maybe that's it. But it's it's a great movie for that sort of behavioral study because it just keeps not revealing. Like you can you can stare at it all you want, and it's not going to give you anything unless it seduces you, and then you fall into it. Oh, another thing I noticed this time, which I hadn't noticed before, which seems like so painfully obvious, <laughs> is that like as the movie progresses, the the landscape gets bigger and bigger and more open. Mm-hmm. The shots get further away from them and they become smaller. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, first of all, it's such a simple choice on Terrence Malick's part. And secondly, how could I have seen this movie so many times and never noticed that? Something so obvious and broad that's happening. Don't feel bad. And they just, yeah, but like that's what's so beautiful about yeah, it. Yeah. Is that like, you know... And and that's that's the magic of what he does in his storytelling is like this is such an obvious overt choice, and you've there's so much else going on that it's not noticed because it, it in a different director's hands you'd go oh I see what you're doing and yeah. it would be eye rolly so much that he does that could be eye rolly that to me is not yeah 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 you know that kind of thing where it's like yeah and then they're just like they're, it's just like them alone as specks on this giant plane. When at the beginning there were like oh, scenes of them screen, together, yeah. yeah, and they're filling the the whole screen. It's just like it's so obvious. Yeah, it's so perfect. But it's only yeah, exactly. It's only obvious in retrospect because you if you buy into it, if you're involved in the film, you won't notice because mm-hmm. you're just sharing the perspective. Yeah. I, at least you know crime stories, crime dramas exist to let people believe in an orderly universe. And mm-hmm. You know the the idea that you can trust the authorities and everything works out and you, it's going to be fine in the end but it always starts with a crime generally with murder because that's the only way to get people's attention yeah and there isn't a happy ending for the dead person (laughs) badlands is one of those movies that just says look it's awful out there it's it's not you know the juvie movies that it's sort of riffing on were always morally correct because the the hayes code demanded it you had to have bad people punished you couldn't get away at the end yeah and Badlands just sort of leaves you with this drifting feeling that everything is not going to be okay. And there's no talk of God. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Especially for Malik, who's all of his films are about the search for something. Which might be what this film is about, but there's no talk of it. Like, one of the things that uh, the, the movie really made me think of was Flannery O'Connor. Although mm. there's so much talk of God in Flannery O'Connor stuff, like in Wise Blood. And this movie has no talk of God... And, and then like, but there is talk of death. Yeah. So what does that mean to them? Like the lights are going to go out at some point. Yeah. And or they're going to go to hell. Or they're going to go to heaven. Yeah. And in the year in which it takes place, religion was everywhere. It mm-hmm. wasn't like the American thing. It was. It was a constant in people's lives. Yeah, and in a small town, especially now. Yeah. In you know, you. If you didn't go to church, you'd be like ostracized in your small community. Yeah. And it's never brought up at all or mentioned. Yeah. 
And I don't even think I can remember like images, religious images in it, but maybe there were. I, no, I don't remember any iconography. I was going to say that the way the images are constructed sort of feels like it's halfway to a devotional. Like the just the use of what do you mean by a devotional? The way that he lights, the way that he shoots the natural world, there seems to be something really bigger going on, something almost spiritual in the treatment of just being outdoors. I mean, he does that Mm, now all the time, and I think I'm backfilling it. Yeah, you know, there is inevitably in a Terrence Malick film somebody running their hand through some wheat or someone spinning outside, like dipping their toes in a river. That's in that's in Badlands. That's where it starts. Slashing your toes around. But that's it. Like the communion is na- is natural. It's not yeah. spiritual. It's just being alive. Which, of course, because kid kills people, it's that much more valuable. You know, like I think we're watching the movie tell you that it's good to be alive, even when people are dying left and right. Mm-hmm. But not in a closer to God kind of way. Just in a, an existence sort of way, an awareness. You know what just occurs to me now is okay. One of the other movies that was that I was considering, one of my other favorite movies, is Jesus of Montreal, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a story about um, Jesus and about religion and yeah, yeah. and whatever. Well, the passion. Yeah, um, and in, and it's such an it's a very obvious metaphor that's happening in that film. But one of the things that's really what that's really interesting is that there are scenes missing that you don't see. You don't see mm-hmm. people kind of hook up and then you realize they're together just yeah. through inference and there's some of that here too in the things that you don't see happen and it was pointed out to me at one point about Jesus of Montreal that that's very much like the Bible there's just stuff missing you don't know how certain things happened oh but now they have a kid well that's true there's sort of like time jumps almost yeah and just pick up the narrative later and you have to well and that's why we argue about I mean there's many reasons why we argue (laughs) about the bible but you know like there's interpretation because because we have to string the pieces together and they're not all put out for us And Mm. and it occurs to me now that this movie does that too there's just important things missing yeah and that some of the most important texts that we that we consider the most important as people are missing so much of the information we'd most like to have. Yeah. And it makes us go crazy, and that's why we do have wars. Okay, I guess Terrence Malick just made, like, the Bible in a movie. In a weird way, he does that. It's, um... Yeah, it's an, it's an elliptical approach to storytelling mm. in that things just manifest fully formed, and you have to figure out what they mean and what they're doing there. Yeah, like missing... The missing the part where he convinces her to go with him is huge, right? Yeah. Um, but that's that's one where it's and it's really in a in a narrative sense to me it's really lovely to have that be left up to me. But in a sense of say like the Bible, these are the things that make us go absolutely insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but how we need to know? We yeah. need to know what he was thinking. What was Jesus thinking? Yeah. <laughs> You talked a lot, but you didn't talk about this one thing. That so we, I'm we're really arguing yeah. about forever, yeah. I'm going to say it means gays can't marry. Well, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so like, but also this kit himself allows that mystery maybe because it's interesting too. Yeah. Well, he doesn't, I mean, he's not a, he doesn't reveal. Like, he's he simply is. Mm-hmm. So he might have just wandered in. But also he's, yeah. he's also modeled himself like after James Dean. That's constantly brought up. Mm. Or maybe it's brought up twice, but... Well, um, it's there, but yeah. But, you know, that's also, like, an inscrutable character with a big myth around him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you know that you know that Kit's also cultivating myth. Right, but it, he's borrowing it, which makes it even scarier that there might not be anything else under it. Right? At least Dean built his own thing. Yeah. Kit just appropriated it. Yeah. 
or or the thing under it is just wanting to fit in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same. I don't know. I feel like we're going around in circles in a yeah. certain way. No. <laughs> is this interesting? We're spinning. We're spinning like a Malik character. Is it interesting? I think it's interesting. Okay, good. Yeah. No, I think so. <laughs> but I, I think ultimately that does bring us to the point, which is that it is an, it's an unknowable motivation. The movie's not unknowable. It's right there, and mm-hmm. you, can, you can watch it. But, uh, you know, you said at the beginning, you can interpret it in a million different ways and not ever be wrong. Mm-hmm. Although I do think you're right. <laughs> I think you have to take on it. I think I'm right, too, because I'm a woman, and she's a woman, so I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> the last question on the show is always the same, which is, you know, like, what of Badlands has infected your creative DNA? What have you taken from it? Do you use it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I touched on it before that the idea of having the confidence in mystery, mm. I guess. That's been something that for me in comedy has been a huge point of interest, which is how much does the audience need to know? And the work that I'm doing right now is probably the worst example of that because it's political satire. Right. So political satire doesn't exist well in mystery and vagueness, right? Sure. Um, but the other kind of comedic work that I like to do... Uh, I really like to experiment with how much information the audience requires. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, a movie like Badlands is a huge inspiration. I mean, the list of movies that I would say inspired my comedy are generally not comedy films, uh, like overtly, but a lot of David Lynch and um, and movies like like this that really allow a lot of interpretation. For... For, like, more laughs per minute comedy, you do need to give the audience more. But I'm really fascinated in how little you can say. Because... Because for me, one of the things that I really want to do is not just not just tell an audience what to think and feel, but hopefully do something that resonates in some way with what people in the audience have experienced in their own lives. And of course, that's a magic trick if you can do it, and it's a real ideal to shoot for. But... The only way to do that is is to leave some openness for the audience to fill in with their own experience. It's quite a hard thing to do, but movies like this have really inspired me in that direction. And it's and it's something that in comedy, when you see it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But a lot of comedians don't go there. And actually, bringing up Richard Iwate is interesting because. He, I think he's a performer who does some of that. He can do a very broad character where sometimes something else is going on. Yeah. You know, yeah. or in his direction, certainly. He's someone I find very inspiring. Um, and uh, Christopher Morris, absolutely, who's another British comedian. But, like, yeah. I mean, and he's gone extremely far in those experiments of, like, how much should I let the audience in to the point of, like, complete alienation sometimes. Yeah. Um, but still, seeing... Seeing comedians work in that mode is amazing for me, and that's what I aspire to. Whether or not I can achieve it, I don't know. Is there someone who's doing it? Is there somebody who's like doing that kind of work right now? I'm trying to think. Um, well, an even greater thing that made me depressed in the end about this film was I was like, and you would know better because you see more movies than I do, but I was like, are movies like this still getting made? <laughs> you know, we live in this time of franchises to the point that like even pitching a movie the first time around it's like what's the franchise potential of this film the way that things are being made uh i don't see i don't know where is this weirdo work coming from i know it's out there but 
if it's all short, funny YouTube clips, which are great, how how does that weird stuff happen? Yeah, it's probably you, happening in England. The funding system is different. Um, yeah, how do you encourage it into the world? How do you coax it and nurture it? Well, and especially why do you do that if maybe only 20% of the population might have any remote interest in it? Yeah. And this is capitalism, so that doesn't count. I think that's where we're heading, though. I don't think there's ever going to be like, you know, as, as much as everyone was talking about Stranger Things when it was on Netflix, its numbers weren't as high as Full, Fuller House. Um, I think we're going to get to a point where people realize that 20% of the world is okay. Like, that's a good number to shoot for. Now that we can access the whole world, 20% is okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're finally at a place where niche programming... I mean, the nerds are winning now. There's a new Star Trek series. There's uh, Stranger Things has a second season coming. Marvel is the dominant force of narrative on the planet. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily encouraging in terms of where narrative is going, but there's places in the niches. There's worlds that you can explore that might be worth chasing but does slow and arty have a niche that will pay money i think so i, I hope I, so i hope so yeah i mean, certainly <laughs> i'm out of a job if it doesn't um but it's it's a thing that i i think we're getting there like jeff nichols who made midnight special there's and, a good example and loving, he's the guy i was thinking of when you were asking that question he told me i mean specifically when he made midnight special have you seen Midnight special I have. Did you know that Michael Shannon came and played the improv set with us? No. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> when? How? Like oh, Like a couple Jesus. weeks ago. God. It was great. He is. Ah. He I've is seen amazing. Him, I've seen him on stage, but I've seen him in a play. He was very, very nervous. Oh. And quite, quite lovely. Anyway. Yeah. The, um, the more I see of him, the more I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times, but the more I see of his work in the world, like just how he wanders around and does stuff the more I appreciation I have for him. I love the movie Mud. Actually, and there's a lot of similarities between Badlands and Mud. They're yeah. ha- because it's like like even just like so, making a weird tree camp out in the woods. Yeah. The like, ambiguous male lead and Yeah. I thought about that. I thought about Mud a lot actually. Yeah. But yeah, Jeff Nichols is a good example. Although I would say people are doing this work, but I was thinking more like who's doing comedy like this? Oh, comedy, yeah. Jenny um, Slate does some stuff that works in that world. Yeah, Her weird huh? Catherine show, this like web series she did was <laughs> definitely weird and strange and comedic yeah i'd put that in that category okay i haven't seen that i'll have to look it up i mean i know her work but I, i'm not yeah it's the on show. i forget the channel it's on a youtube channel i'll find it Catherine yeah. is what it's called cool but that's fun where it's like you're working with weirdness but you're very much like this is comedy and I know what I'm doing. Right. There are shows that are coming out like that now. I think now that also that the tools of production are cheap enough that you could do something for very little money. Mm-hmm. People are sort of embracing that possibility and there's stuff out there where I mean and I get it with I got it with Dan Harmon's Community which is a you know multi-million dollar sitcom but mm-hmm. it felt like it was made exclusively for me like this is my thing Rick and Morty deals with some very bizarre stuff oh, wow, where yeah. it goes full funny and then also it's like and you're dealing with people like in personal collapse in a show that's very much written to be punchy as yeah, well yeah so that's an unusual there's another example yeah we, we talked Harmon and I I did the, the conversation with him for JFL and, and he talked about it briefly and I was like well the come watch TV is you right like Royland is doing all this bizarre alien stuff and over here in the corner, you're working on this amazing existential arc where, you know, I eat breakfast 30 feet from my own body. Um, that speech is just incredible and devastating. He said, yeah, we did it in like the sixth episode because fuck it, we're just going to go in. <laughs> yeah. And he's right. Like, you have to do it now. You have to, you, there's no, what I think the point he was making was there's no point in playing something safe. 
if you have a concept, you should burn through the story and force yourself through it and see what comes next. Yeah. But that is a high wire act that doesn't work for everybody because it becomes the gesture that attracts people rather than the work. Right. It's like, look what I did. It's like, yeah, but that guy did it and made me cry. Yeah. The next step is what's more interesting. Um, and, and what Nichols is doing, what he does with Midnight Special, though, is mm-hmm. he said that what he was doing was how much do people need? How much information can I withhold? Do I even need to talk about the nature of this thing or where they were or what the cult believes? And he, he said he realized if you just show it, if you, you pick up the story where it starts, which is the road part, and the cues, like the 80s stuff he uses, the, the visual quotes and the musical score, yeah. that will guide people in. And if they know what I'm doing, they'll get it. And if they don't, hopefully they'll get it 20 minutes later. And in Midnight Special, at the end, I saw more than I had to. I actually didn't oh, want yeah. to have seen so that much. last glimpse? Yeah, I was like, I actually didn't need this much. For me, personally, mm. obviously, everything's like yeah, <laughs> subjective. A couple, of, a couple of other people said the same thing. And it's like, I thought, because we, we talked about um, potential spoilers for Midnight Special listeners. <laughs> we talked about Starman at the end, the John Carpenter film with Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah, yeah. On. And you remember at the very end of Starman, is the whole thing is represented by some snow and red light. There's nothing... Like you don't. See, I don't remember the end. But. You don't see beyond that. You see the alien returns home. Mm. Spoiler, and it's depicted. And now all of a sudden, my head is just making connections between Starman and Badlands, and they're not wrong. Mm. It's a road movie. It's about two people on the run. It's about people who don't understand the world around them. But well, we have to watch it. Starman again. Yeah, you totally should. Uh, but it's that was one of the models he used for Midnight Special mm. because what can you get away with, and how much do you need to see? And, yeah, now there's a straight line between Midnight Special and Badlands with Starman in the middle, and it makes, I find that weirdly comforting. There's, there's, um, this is probably a quote from someone that I don't know who said, but it's the, that idea that when, when you write a poem, that really you're only writing half. Mm. You know this? Yeah, I've heard so that. So, yeah. It's sentiment expressed. I'm sure I'm, that. like, not crediting this to the right person because I don't know who said it, but... Yeah, when you write a poem, you only write half, and the reader writes the other half. But that's that same sense of mystery. Mm. And I feel like I, I really worry that we're losing that in the general society that we're in. And not everybody has to like poetry or <laughs> whatever, yeah. but I think it's extremely ungenerous to an audience to do everything for them. I think it leaves nothing for them. Mm-hmm. And this, Badlands, is a film that gives me so much... And gives me so much space of my own to fill in. And I get to make it my own story. And it's so completely its own story as well. Poetry. Poetry. (laughs) My thanks to Becky Johnson, who is doing great weird things in the Second City's current review, Come What Mayhem. If you're in Toronto, go catch the show before the year is out. Thanks also to Damian Nelson. She knows what she did. You can find Becky on Twitter at JohnsonBecky, all one word, And you can find Badlands on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection in a typically excellent special edition that includes a terrific retrospective documentary. It's also available for sale and rental on iTunes and Google Play. But come on, Criterion Blu-ray, guys, you know the deal. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is, I can't deny we've had fun, though. Thanks for listening. I'm afraid
you just too darn loud. 